Today we're talking about reconciliation. Everyone's clear on the concept? Yes? Not so much on the explanation? I know I wasn't. Uh, when asked to speak here, I very much enjoy having the ability to sit down with focused study with a purpose. If you haven't got an invitation to speak or thought of studying with a purpose before, I highly encourage you in your personal devotional life, find a theme, a topic, and work toward that topic. It's very, very um, uplifting to a style of study. So I have a, uh, next to a cup of spit, apparently back here, I have an object lesson. In my family, we speak object lessons well. So we have this light bulb. It's a very nice light bulb. And uh, if I were to ask you what would happen if I dropped this to the floor, what would you say? It would become something beautiful, right? So uh, I was going to ask for a volunteer, but I don't want any of our young people to get cut. So if I were to drop this bulb, it would, uh, let's see if I have a, there we go. All right. That didn't go well. It, uh, it didn't turn into something good and wonderful and beautiful. It got a little chaotic. So in my study, sin is like that, right? Sin didn't take the Garden of Eden and transform it from something good into something wonderful and beautiful. It took God's beautiful peace and harmony and threw it into chaos. Did that sound chaotic? You chatter a little bit more. It turned it into chaos, that broken glass, disillusionment, disabandonment, or abandonment, disillusionment, disharmony, all began to creep into our world because of sin. It became the normal order of things. So if I were to drop this relationship, if I were to drop this relationship down, does it become something nice and wonderful in, in sin? Or does it become something disharmonious, bitter? Our relationships tend to be that way in a sin-filled world. So if I ask you to take my pile of glass back there and to build it back into something beautiful, if, uh, make it functionable, if I were to pull out from a pile of broken glass a working light bulb, not just a light bulb, but the one that I had before, a perfect light bulb that's exactly like the one it was before, would you say that's a natural result, the natural order of people working together and building things? Or would you say it's nothing short of miraculous? If I were to take from a pile of broken glass and pull that light bulb back, if I were to take a relationship from that disharmony, that chaotic disorder that happens in a sin-filled world and put it back into order and harmony, it's nothing short of miraculous. Would you agree? So the word reconciliation, reconciliation means to change. So to change. The change kind of implies that there's something that was in harmony and it went into disorder and chaos. So. My theory is, is that true change, true relationship going from that disorder and chaos into a state of harmony back to where it should be can only be from God. So to reconcile with someone or something, to change something or someone's relationship assumes that there's a brokenness to begin with, something that was broken that needs healing. So reconciliation that change in relationship is something that we've all experienced but find it a little hard to define. So keep our light bulb, no pun intended, in your mind as we explore the miraculous change in relationship that God can create. 
I'd like you to turn with me to Genesis 37, and we're going to start in verse 18. Genesis 37, verse 18. A pastor once told me I should wait until the pages stop turning. And another pastor told me the pages should never stop turning. <laughs> if you're there, say amen. This is the story of Joseph. And we're going to start at the beginning. Well, now when they saw him afar off, his brothers saw Joseph afar off. I'm reading in verse 18. Even before he came near them, they conspired against him to kill him. And then they said to one another, Look, this dreamer is coming. Come, therefore, let us now kill him and cast him into some pit, and we shall say, Some wild beast has devoured him. We shall see what will become of his dreams. But Reuben heard it, and he delivered him out of their hands and said, Let us not kill him. And Reuben said to them, Shed no blood, but cast him into this pit, which is in the wilderness, and do not lay a hand on him, that he might deliver them out of their hands and bring them back to his father. So it came to pass, when Joseph had come to his brothers, that they stripped Joseph of his tunic, the tunic of many colors that was on him. Then they took and cast him into a pit, and the pit was empty, and there was no water in it. And they sat down to eat a meal. Then they lifted their eyes and looked, and there was a company of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels bearing spices, balm, and myrrh on their way to carry them down to Egypt. So Judah said to his brothers, What profit is there if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come and let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let, her not, let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother in our flesh. And his brothers listened. And then Midianite traders passed by, so the brothers pulled Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver, and they took Joseph to Egypt. Then Reuben returned to the pit, and indeed Joseph was not in the pit, and he tore his clothes. And he returned to his brothers and said, The lad is no more, and where I, where shall I go? So they took Joseph's tunic killed a kid of the goats and dipped the tunic in the blood. Then they sent the tunic of many colors and they brought it to their father and said, we have found this. Do you know whether it's your son's tunic or not? And he recognized it and said, it is my son's tunic. A wild beast has devoured him. Without doubt, Joseph is torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his clothes, put sackcloth on his waist and mourned for his son for many days. And all his sons and all his daughters arose to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. And he said, For I shall go down into the grave to my son in mourning. Thus his father wept for him. If you haven't picked up on a theme of family dysfunction in that story, some of the things that his brothers said and did and thought, the relationship between he and his brothers were broken. Would that be a fair assessment? It was broken, very broken. The relationship then between his brothers and their father was very broken. To put it in a modern context, think if, in your sanctified imagination, think if uh, one of your eldest children came to you and said your youngest child was killed in a car accident. It was, of course, a falsehood, but you don't know that. And then think through, as we just passed through the holiday season, or we're passing through the holiday season, they're all sitting around to dinner. Your children are talking are you the one that told dad? Are you going to be the one that upsets mom? She's, she's just, she's crying. She won't stop crying. She's been crying for days because you told her about this lie. If you ever tell her, something's going to happen. I hope and pray none of your family discussions around your dinner table like that on Christmas. But that hiding of that sinful deed, the anger, the hatred, the malice, the bitterness, it starts to creep up into the relationship. You see how that starts? 
begins to brew. It doesn't go from a state of disorder and disharmony. It descends down into it. Have you noticed as that bitterness kind of creeps into your life from one sinful action or another, that it becomes harder and harder to come to God with a contrite heart, to humble yourself and say, God, I'm really sorry I did that. I'm really upset. I feel this way. I feel that way. I, I'm sorrow, I have sorrow for my sins. Expressing those feelings, those thoughts, those actions to God becomes harder and harder the more those relationships begin to break down. But bringing that brokenness to God, bringing that brokenness to Christ is exactly what's needed. When Satan comes to tell you that you are a sinner, you're a great sinner, look up to your Redeemer and talk of his merits, that which will help you is to look to his light. Acknowledge your sin, but tell the enemy that Christ Jesus came to this world to save sinners and that you're saved by his matchless love. Luke 7, 43 I'll give you a brief opportunity to turn to Luke 7:43. Jesus asked Simon a question there. Luke 7:43. In it, one, Jesus asked Simon a question in regard to two debtors. One owed his Lord a small sum and the other owed a very large sum, but he forgave them both. So Christ asked Simon, which debtor would love his Lord the most? Simon answered, he to whom he forgave the most, Luke 7, 43. We have been great sinners, but Christ died that we may be forgiven. The merits of his sacrifice are sufficient to present to the Father on our behalf. Those to whom he has forgiven most will love him most and will stand nearest to his throne to praise him for his great love and infinite sacrifice. When we see the length of the chain that was let down for us, when we understand something of the infinite sacrifice that Christ has made on our behalf, our hearts are melded with tenderness and contrition. When you realize, when I realize that I'm in that great need, I need to look to the Savior for restoration of relationship, for that reconciliation. Recognition that you're in need of a Savior, a Savior that can provide reconciliation, and bring you back to that harmonious peace. Have you ever heard the, I, I think of it as an Old West phrase, make your peace with God before you die? Have you ever heard make your peace with God? The Lord would have his people sound in the faith, not ignorant of the great salvation so abundantly provided to them. They're not to look forward to thinking that sometime in the future, a great work is to be done for them because the work's now complete. The believer is not called upon to make his peace with God, nor has he ever, nor can ever do this. The believer is not called upon to make his peace with God. He has never, nor can ever do this. Instead, he's to accept Christ as his peace. Accept Christ as his peace, for with Christ is God and peace. Turn to Hebrews 2, chapter 2, Hebrews 2, chapters, chapter 2, verse 17 and 18. Hebrews 2, 17 and 18. Christ alone is able to do all this. 2, 17, 18. Therefore, in all things, he had to be made like his brethren, 
that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God and make propitiation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he is able to aid those who are tempted. Reconciliation, that change in relationship from brokenness back to wholeness, means that every barrier between the soul and God is removed. Every barrier between the soul and God is removed. When the sinner realizes that the pardoning love of Christ and the pardoning love of God means by re reason of the sacrifice made by God for fallen men, God can justly pardon the transgressor who accepts the merits of Christ. Christ was a channel through which the mercy, love, and righteousness might flow from the heart of God to the heart of the sinner. 1 John 1, 9, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We're gonna go back to the story of Joseph. Genesis 43, we've skipped ahead. We've missed parts of Egypt. Genesis 43, 28 to 30. Genesis 43, 28 to 30. And they answered. At the beginning here, uh, beginning of this section, Joseph had sent his brothers back to their father, still unknown to them, and they returned back with Benjamin. Joseph tested this new relationship and he was overcome. They replied, your servant is still alive and well, and they bowed down, prostrating themselves before him. And he looked about and saw his brother Benjamin, his mother's own son, and he asked, is this your youngest brother, the one you told me about? And he said, God be gracious to you, my son. Deeply moved at the sight of his brother, Joseph hurried out and looked for a place to weep. He went into his private room and wept there. Listen to what happens a little further in the story. How the relationship changed can only be miraculous from God. Then Joseph, verse 45, could no longer control himself before all of his attendants. And he cried out, have everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him and Pharaoh's household heard about it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother, Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed. Do not be angry with yourselves for selling me because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there has been famine in the land. And for the next five years, there'll be no plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by great deliverance. Verse 14, then he threw his arms around his brother Benjamin and wept. And Benjamin embraced him weeping. Then he kissed all of his brothers and wept over them. Do you long for that reconciliation? That type of a restoration, a change in relationship? So we read at the beginning of Joseph's story and we agree that was kind of disharmonious, a family dysfunction. At the end of the story, the end of the story, it's nothing short of miraculous. Let's read what reconciliation really means. In 2 Corinthians 5.14, 2 Corinthians 5, we'll be there for a little bit. I'll wait patiently for all of you. 2 Corinthians 5, verse, uh, we're gonna read in uh, 5.18 as she did, but we'll back up to verse 14 to start. What does this reconciliation, what does this restoration of relationship mean? For the love of Christ compels us because we judge thus, that if one died for all, then all died, and he died for all, that those who should live should no longer, 
that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Him who died for them. We learned in the Garden of Eden that the relationship was broken. But God promised at the very beginning a redeemer, someone to restore or reconcile that relationship, a restoration back to wholeness. Uh, Let's continue verse 16. Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things become new. Notice here there's a, a large difference between the Christian's understanding and the world's understanding of reconciliation, between Christianity and the world's religions. In the world's religions, the focus is on the gods being reconciled to man. And the reconciliation or the restoration of that relationship back to wholeness is an act of man. Think of all the, uh, the world's religions that, uh, that require you to do something to appease God, to hurt yourself, to, do, to bring an offering of a certain kind to, to try to make that relationship right with God. But in Christianity, it's man who is reconciled to God and the reconciliation is not an act of man. That restoration is anything... <laughs> If you see it as anything short of miraculous, you're wrong. That restoration is only from God, an act of God. It's something God did for us. Continue in verse 18. Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, God, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Praise God that reconciliation is something God did for us through Jesus Christ, not anything we could do to appease God, not anything we could do, not anything Josh could do to satisfy the requirements of the law and of sin and death. There is nothing I could do. I want you to notice additionally that we are not by God's act reconciled to him rather than that he is reconciled to us. The verse says, God who reconciled us to himself. God seeing us in our weakness took it upon himself to restore the relationship by sending his son, Jesus Christ, to take this, the penalty of sin upon him. God through Christ didn't just give this reconciliation to believers in him either. Who does it say he gave it to? Verse 19, that is, that God was in Christ reconciling Josh, Mary, Jane, Marion, <laughs> reconciling the world. Thank you, Michael. Reconciling the world to himself. Each and every sinner, everyone. Romans 5.10 We were reconciled to God through the death of His Son. We were reconciled. That relationship has changed through, to God through the death of His Son because sin was reckoned to Christ. Sacrifice made for us. Although He knew no sin and was judged upon Him, sin is not reckoned to those who have sinned, but they are reckoned righteous. If they're willing to be identified with Christ as their representative, so that led me to ask the same question as so many followers of Jesus asked him, what must I do to be saved? How do I recognize, how do I recognize that? Luke 15, Luke chapter 15, 11 to 32. It's only a few pages over, so I'll wait. Go ahead. Luke chapter 15, verse 11 to 32. You may recognize this story. Another story of reconciliation, restoration. I want you to listen in this story for what God does to take our relationship from brokenness back to wholeness. And he said, 
verse 11, a certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in that land, and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and despair, and I perish with hunger? I will rise and go to my father, and I'll say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you, and before you, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. He practiced that whole speech. It was all planned out. I know exactly what I'm going to say to God that will get him to like me. For those of you that have children, what do I do to get them to like me? I want to come to God and I want to make sure that he likes me. So I'm going to make sure I rehearse everything I'm going to say I'm going to make it perfect that we can somehow atone for our own brokenness, that we can fix the relationship with the Father. Listen to what the Father does and says. The Father said to his, well, the Son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and in your sight I am no longer worthy to be called your Son. He gave the carefully rehearsed speech. But the Father said to the servants, bring out your best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fatted calf here and kill it and let us eat and be merry for this is my Son. This my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. This my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Did the father stop to listen to that carefully rehearsed speech? While he was still a great way off. While he was still a great way off. Well, we are still a great way off. While we're a long way off, living in the knowledge of what we've done to break the relationship. Like the brothers of Joseph or like the prodigal son God sent his son to pay the penalty for our discretion, our transgressions, and he reconciled us to himself. So like the prodigal son's father, God isn't waiting for impassioned or eloquent speeches. I know I'm not guilty of either of those. He's waiting for us to claim what he's already done. He's waiting for you. He's waiting for me to recognize and realize and believe that the relationship is already made whole through the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. We have only to accept it. Acts 16 and 31, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. So a few minutes ago, I asked you in your sanctified imagination to think of your children committing a grievous act against you. Was it easy to identify with that? Something broken? Easy to identify with a broken relationship? I want to leave you with something better. After he who knew no sin effectively became sin for us and died on the cross, the story doesn't end there. The same Jesus the Jesus of whom we read this morning is coming back. Physically, literally, visibly, he's returning to restore everything in the relationship that separated us. No more death, no more pain, no more bitterness of separation, no more divorce. There is coming soon a day that God will wipe away every tear from our eyes. Reconciliation, the restoration of the relationship with God is nothing short of miraculous. It cost him everything. All we have to do is accept it. If you've accepted it, you've accepted God into your life and you've accepted his work on your behalf, I encourage you to take that message to the world. That's the end of, of 2 Corinthians. 
God has let, let the world know that God has restored the relationship with them. They only have to accept the free gift of salvation, bought at a price on their behalf, and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 5.11 For while, when we were still without strength, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. And scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love his own love toward us and that while we were still sinners, while we were still in the state of a broken relationship, God died for us. Christ died for us. Much more than that, having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now have received reconciliation, that restoration of relationship. I want to close with a quote that makes me think about our global group of believers, as Daniel referenced, of everyone kneeling together in corporate prayer. In the matchless gift of his Son, God has encircled the whole world with an atmosphere of grace as real as the air which circulates around the globe. All who choose to breathe this life-giving atmosphere will live and grow up into the stature of men and women in Christ Jesus. Our growth, our grace, our joy, our usefulness all depend, all depend upon our union with Christ. So I testify to the gospel of reconciliation, received and salvation assured. Would you receive my testimony?